the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First of all, let me tell you how wonderful it is to see you here this morning. I have missed y'all so, so much. You have no idea how strange it is preaching to a camera in an empty church. It was kind of neat for about a week, and that was it. I know the past six months haven't really been easy for any of us, and I'm so happy that we're able to take this first step as we join back together in person as the body of Christ. To those of you watching on home, hi. There's a camera here coming this up. I want you to rest assured that this service will continue to be streamed on Facebook. It won't always look like this. There's more to that to, be, to come later. But if you don't feel safe or don't feel healthy to come to church or didn't get your reservation on time, it's okay. This service will always be streamed into perpetuity, whatever that word is, forever. So, <laughs> what's important is that we keep doing what we can to keep each other healthy and safe. And so thank you for, for all that you're doing. When we turn to look at this morning's gospel reading, Jesus presents us with some pretty practical instructions on how to deal with conflict. Now, thankfully, St. John's is a healthy parish. I mean, sure, we're experiencing the pandemic just like everyone else around the world, but there really aren't any big conflicts. There are no factions that are secretly conspiring to leave the church. There are no, there's no secret cabal that calls all the shots behind the scenes. And thanks be to God, we are not faced with the biggest source of conflict in any parish. We're not trying to change the color of the carpet. <laughs> Amen. Now sometimes people think that there should be no conflict in church. As though by virtue of being Christians, we can and should cover all disagreements over with kindness. But Jesus, however, seems to proceed on the assumption that conflict in the Christian community is normal, and it's natural, and should be dealt with with honesty and compassion. Now, as we all know, honesty and compassion are not usually the first things that come to mind when we think about some of the big conflicts that the church has experienced over the years. Many times, anger, hurt feelings, a lack of clear communication drive us towards either sweeping everything under the rug to keep the peace, or taking openly hostile positions that lead to shouting matches and people leaving the church forever. The result is either a body of Christ that's pristine on the outside, but riddled with disease and rot of resentment on the inside, or an openly dismembered and bleeding body of Christ, hemorrhaging members in vitality. Jesus tells us this morning, though, that there must be another way. First, he asks us to use direct and respectful communication. If we are struggling with something a fellow Christian has said or done, we're not to go talking behind his or her back, and we're not to stage a dramatic public confrontation during church or coffee hour. Instead, we're to take time aside after that initial rush of emotion has subsided and engage in dialogue with that person one-on-one. -on -one. 
conversation does not produce a resolution, we're supposed to create a small group of both parties concerned to discern and pray together. If no progress is made with that, then we let transparency be our guiding principle and search for a solution as a whole church community, bearing one another's burdens and seeking reconciliation. But some disagreements are so deep that even those steps cannot ease them. And so Jesus says, if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now we can breathe a sigh of relief. We've checked all of our church conflict boxes. It didn't work out. We can push that person away and shut them forever. End of story. Not so fast. Turns off not off the hook at all. Because of how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. What can we learn from his words and his actions towards them that we can then apply to the conflicts that happen in our own lives? When Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple, he emphasizes the Pharisee's showboating pride and self-satisfaction versus the tax collector's pain and private acknowledgement of his own sin. To treat someone like a tax collector would then be to realize that beneath the facade of our combativeness on the outside, that person might actually be hiding a great deal of pain and regret over his or her own actions in that conflict. Jesus says this tax collector went home justified or forgiven. Could we not look for the hidden self of the person with whom we are in conflict and maybe have our own compassion awaken? Could we not realize that we ourselves might be in danger of praying like that Pharisee was, proud and certain of our own righteousness? Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector and filthy rich. But he was so eager to see Jesus that he climbed that tree to get a better view of him. Jesus called Zacchaeus down and invited himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' home. So how can we treat someone who has done us wrong like Jesus treated Zacchaeus? We can invite this member to share their gifts with the church in some way, just as Jesus did. And most importantly, we can share a table fellowship together with them in our homes or maybe at that table. That's how Jesus treated tax collectors, with mercy, with invitation, with curiosity, and with an eye towards their potential for growth and service in the kingdom of God. Matthew, one of the twelve apostles, was a tax collector. And Jesus called him right from his money table to follow him. So when Jesus tells us that we're to treat our most stubborn and aggravating fellow Christians like tax collectors, he's telling us to treat them like members of his inner circle, disciples who are key to spreading his word. What about those Gentiles he talks about? 
if we are to treat people who we disagree with as Gentiles, how does Jesus teach us by his example? One of his most famous encounters with a Gentile was the healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. If you remember, he initially refuses, saying that the food for the children of Israel cannot be given to the dogs. But her clever and her persistent response, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table, convinced Jesus to change his mind. Now, if our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is perfect and without sin, can be persuaded to soften and change his mind about someone, can we not do the same? Are we really paying attention to the argument that our opponent is offering? Jesus was not afraid to really listen and be changed by what he heard. We have the opportunity to do the same, not just within our church, but within our families and within our nation as a whole. And so we see that this gospel lesson, in fact, does not give us license to get rid of people we don't like, to ostracize troublemakers and let silence and distance be the mediators of the conflict in our lives. Jesus' instructions to treat the ones who seem to be the most far gone and uninterested in reconciliation, like tax collectors and Gentiles, opens to us a whole array of creative and surprising paths towards reconciliation, towards seeing the best in one another, towards achieving healing, even years after we no longer remember what got us so angry in the first place. In the imitation of Christ, we find that treating others like tax collectors and Gentiles is a path of gentleness, hope, and potential. All of this is so important, not just because of the simple reality that there is no such thing as life or church, for that matter, without conflict. It matters because of how Jesus concluded his instructions to us this morning. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. With the choices we make, we can bind each other even tighter into our separate camps and polarized positions, or we can loose ourselves from our pride and our ever-present need to be right. We can loose one another from assumptions and stereotypes and bitterness. We can loose ourselves and our church communities from the fear of conflict. And then we can bind ourselves together with the unbreakable love of Christ. For where two or three are gathered in his name, Christ is there.